As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The race is on, or should that be off? With news that the season opening Australian Grand Prix is set to be postponed. That means that in the first week of 2021, we've already got some all too familiar disruption to the F1 calendar. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me with the lowdown on what's going on with Melbourne is Scott Mitchell. Well, Scott, I was going to say let's dive into it, but can we just quickly comment on your excellent uh, choice of attire? <laughs> yeah, what my hoodie? <laughs> your Charlton Athletic hoodie. Yeah, I got it for I got it for Christmas. It's from a it was a present from my my brother Luke. Um, it's very it's a very nice uh, it's a very nice cozy grey uh, hoodie with my uh, favourite football team Charlton Athletic represented on the front, which is the news everybody flocks to the Race F One podcast to hear. Exactly, and it's ideal for the barren wasteland that is Stockholm in in early January, I imagine. But let, let's get on with it. It won't come as a surprise to anybody that our old enemy COVID-19 is responsible for this, but why exactly does it seem like we won't be in Melbourne in mid-March? Yeah, well, the first thing, obviously, I have to say is that it's, um, it's at the moment, as we record this, it's, it's likely to be postponed. It's set to be postponed. It hasn't officially been been called off, and also it doesn't look like it's going to be cancelled outright, so it will be moved to later in the year. I'd imagine something around the um, the Asian-American uh, flyaways is probably the only realistic option, isn't it? I, I don't think you'd um, necessarily want to get involved with the uh, putting Australia somewhere around, say, the season finale or in um, in Abu Dhabi. So that's the the Middle Eastern trip, Saudi and and, and Abu Dhabi. So yeah, move to the end of the season. It, it's basically a legacy of um, F1's plan to circumvent the 14 day quarantine in Australia basically not being allowed so that wasn't that F1 wanted to act irresponsibly it wanted to basically do what it did in uh, in Abu Dhabi which was to have a biosphere whereby personnel travel to the 
travel to Australia and they stay in accommodation separately to the public. And then basically they're only allowed to leave their accommodation if they're traveling to the circuit. So the only reason you're allowed out your room is to go to, from the hotel to the track, which is what happened in in Abu Dhabi. And that that's how they got around the 14-day quarantine requirement in Abu Dhabi last year. And the, the hope was that Australia would be up for this as well. And I, I was led to believe that it was... Um, the biosphere-style plan w- was at the behest of the Australian a- authorities um, because they wouldn't just let uh, F1 rock up into the country. But now it, it sounds like my understanding is that uh, Austra- the Australian go- or the Victorian government rather has basically stated that no, the quarantine is uh, is unavoidable, um, and that unfortunately makes the Grand Prix unfeasible because. Uh, it would mean that the personnel would need to travel to Australia a lot earlier. They'd have to then spend two weeks in isolation before being allowed to then go ahead with um, the usual setup stuff for the Grand Prix um, and everything would be disrupted. And there's two big reasons this would be a huge disruption and, and isn't feasible. One is that it would compromise the setup of the event and it would make life very difficult for everybody going there. And the second is that logistically it would mean that you have to travel to Australia before we're currently scheduled to be going to Barcelona for pre-season testing, which is obviously not possible. I'm sure that if needs must and this had to happen, I'm sure pre-season testing could be moved. But as it stands, taking 10 days or something out of the gap between now and pre-season is just that I can't see anyone being willing to agree with that. Um, and also it would mean three and a half weeks or four weeks in Australia altogether just to start the season, which is, it, that just that just doesn't work. So um, I don't think it's in anyone's interest to persevere with this race for the sake of it, just uh, when it's going to be in such a compromised fashion. And you can see why it's it's got to this over over recent days, because it seems to be getting a little bit worse in Australia. If you look at Victoria, I was looking at their, their situation and that the border to New South Wales is, is closed, apparently. That's the, the last thing, the reference I could find from, from earlier today. So obviously they're taking some quite positive action to try and contain things and keep things under control. So it's not a great surprise. And we've seen effects on tennis, the Australian Open, and some concerns about the Indian cricket team not wanting to do extra quarantines and that kind of thing. So obviously this is a this is a not just an F1 thing, it's it's a sport-wide thing and an Australia-wide thing. But th- there's various things we need to dig into there. Now, you say this is a postponement and there's a plan to schedule it for later in the year. Now, of course, last year's race actually was initially a postponement. They made that very, very clear on the Friday morning at the press conference uh, that, that it was a postponement, but it was never really very likely it was going to happen. But you mentioned it would probably be rescheduled for later in the season, but it, it's quite difficult because if you look at it, August the 29th, Spa, we're back. And then that's the beginning of a run of, I think, 11 races in 16 weekends, isn't it? So it's really, really rapid fire, and that's going all over the place, Europe, North America, South America, Asia. So there's a, re- a real possibility there's going to be some other shake-ups in the calendar to accommodate Australia if, if it does get a place back. Yeah, I think it's going to require some surgery, exactly how big or small determined is going to be dependent on how many races actually go ahead in 2021. And sort of what gaps might emerge in the calendar, I suppose. But the key difference between this year and last year is obviously, officially, that postponement was because it happened on the morning of um, Friday practice. So they couldn't they couldn't cancel it because I guess that was where the liability for the event lay. So you don't want to have uh, it was that was an awkward situation. So postponing it was uh, officially sort of the best way to to go about it, and then it was cancelled later on. Whereas now there is obviously a lot more time in the 
in advance. Yes, we've got the calendar. Yes, it's a, meant to be a record 23 race calendar. So taking one of those out and putting that in at a later date is, um, is not the work of a moment. But because this decision, well, obviously the decision hasn't been officially made yet, I think they've got probably a couple of weeks before they have to officially make the decision because by the end of January, work really needs to have started on putting everything together for, for Melbourne. But by making this decision in January, in the first half of January, it gives it gives everybody two months basically from the Grand Prix itself. But it also means that uh, it's two it's over two months until the start of the season, uh, and that means uh, rescheduling a uh, the race is just a bit more of a feasible prospect than it would have been 12, 12 months ago or well last last March. Um, doesn't mean it's going to be easy doesn't 100% guarantee it's going to be possible but at the moment that is um that is what F1 is believed to be working towards yeah going to be interesting to see how that happens and I guess it's going to have to be a flexible approach to the calendar because it would probably be naive to think there isn't going to be the potential for further COVID-19 related disruption to this season I know when the calendar was announced a lot of people said 23 races was always optimistic but obviously they have to plan uh, for this but the effect of the start of the season so as you say the season should start in Bahrain presumably we're expecting the original date of 28th of March yeah, uh, I don't see any reason. Um, I don't see any reason for that to change. It's basically just the defaults to the second race suddenly becoming the first race. Um, gives everyone a, a little bit more time. One thing I don't really understand the consequences of yet because I don't think it's been determined is what happens with preseason testing because at the moment preseason is meant to be I think March second to March fourth inclusive at Barcelona, but Bahrain was in the running to host testing before, and now that it's the season opener. I suspect that conversation will be had. Just does it not make sense for us to test in Bahrain? I don't really know sort of whether having that test, well, what would it be if it test finishes on the 4th and the Bahrain Grand Prix is on the 28th, isn't it? So you, there, everyone's going to be out in Bahrain by the 23rd, 24th, something like that. If you went to Bahrain for testing on, and you were testing in the first week of March, could you leave like a chunk of equipment there or something? Was it... Is, Presumably there'd be stuff that F1 could do to sort of ease the logistics rather than go back and forth. So I suppose I suppose that would make a little bit of sense. Um, but I don't know whether the date would change. I don't know if they would move testing a week later, for example, um, to make that a bit more viable and give teams a little bit more time. I think a date change for testing at this point would need a vote. Um, but I'm sure everyone's going to basically decide what makes the most sense. What... I, I would imagine putting testing back a week is not going to be a massive turnoff for teams, but obviously bringing it forward would have been absolutely no way with all of the work that's been put into getting the cars ready. I guess it would make sense to to have the test later and then make it more a kind of one visit thing, even if you have it say a week before, because obviously moving people to and from Bahrain isn't going to be the the easiest. But that kind of reflects the problem, doesn't it? That we don't know how the various restrictions are going to change and how COVID's going to go in the next few months. Because even though obviously vaccines are starting to be deployed, we're still in the early stages of that. And it's going to be a while before before the disruption is eased. So it's going to be a case of thinking on their feet. Do we expect any other disruption to the calendar? I know we're expecting some general disruption, but is there anywhere that we're particularly concerned about at the moment? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's really really difficult to say with any kind of certainty what um what we could or or should expect from the calendar. To be completely honest, because 
We know that vaccines are obviously now going to, they're in the process of being rolled out to, to, to different phases of people, and that's only going to escalate over the coming months. Um, how much does that change, change things? How much are people going to be stuck in different waves? You know, with the situation the UK is in at the moment, um, that's not a particularly pleasant scenario to have to, to have to work around. Obviously, I know that F1's capable of putting exceptions in place, but if the UK does go back into a, a full lockdown, for example, that's obviously going to frighten a few people and, and, and just generate uncertainties because despite all of the problems that F1 overcame when the when the season finally started last year, unless I'm mistaken and missing something, nothing went back into like full-scale lockdown. Um, there was obviously localised uh localized lockdowns i suppose you could call them or you know just strict restrictions and stuff like this you've got the tiers in the uk for example but you never had any like full-scale shutdown of stuff like we did back in back in the spring so this is this is a different kind of problem for formula one to confront that they as i understand it the the people who are basically in charge of the planning are working on the basis that this is an Australia-specific problem and the other races or the other governments involved are willing to have the races put on per F1's plan. What That, that doesn't mean that F1 thinks that Australia is the only place with a COVID problem and it doesn't mean that F1's sort of underestimating the, the reality of the situation because, as we said, they put on 17 Grand Prix last year in really, really difficult circumstances. Everything was thought through everything was meticulous in the planning so it's not that they're it's not that they're underestimating the situation it's not that they think that australia is sort of i was going to say on its own little island <laughs> uh, i mean with this specific problem what it means is that the circumstances in australia relating to this pandemic are not the same as the other countries that f1 plans to visit there aren't these places that are demanding f1 do a 14-day quarantine for a race that takes a day for everybody to get to from Europe. I don't know if optimistic is the right word, but there's no need to panic at the moment and think, oh, here we go again. Every other race is going to get postponed or cancelled and then we're going to be waiting until June or July to start and then we're only going to have a certain number of races and we're going to do double headers again, blah, blah, blah. Like It's too soon to be getting into all of that. Uh, what All we know at the moment is that Australia looks likely to go that way but there isn't really any sort of definitive disruption in the pipeline beyond that. But obviously that, that could change quite quickly. Maybe we'll be here in a week or two doing another podcast lamenting the loss of three or four other Grand Prix. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You mentioned this is an Australia-specific problem, but everyone's dealing with 23 different nation-specific scenarios, isn't it? And it's a, an entirely movable situation. But the fact that they successfully managed to juggle what happened last year, and I, I still think the fact they got 17 races done, was pretty astonishing in 2020. I know it's uh, it's easy to not Formula One in general, but that was a pretty uh, astonishing feat to, to do that. So certainly they're, they're capable of thinking on their feet. I guess looking at the calendar, the logical place for it to slot in would be a bit like the old days to put it near the, the Japanese Grand Prix, wouldn't it? Because there was a point where you used to have Japan and Australia at the end of the season. Although you don't have to move everything from race to race because teams have multiple sets of the garage setups and all that sort of thing but you still need to move some stuff directly from race to race but then of course you've got to be in the united states after the japanese grand prix there's a there's a one weekend gap between those two so all these knock-on effects and i guess there's a, a possibility we might see a little bit of extension of the season again that that's clearly going to be possible abu dhabi was flexible on, on that before don't know how 
flexible Saudi Arabia will be. They've got the penultimate race on November the 28th. So it's all these knock-ons, isn't it? And I guess Australia will want to hold the race if they possibly can, ideally with a big crowd, because that, that's a big old race, the Australian Grand Prix. that gets enormous crowds, so they'll ideally want it to be there. But then, of course, Melbourne's got the problem of they'll have to deal with the city in terms of when they can run the race, because it takes over Albert Park. It's a, a very big disruptive event. So it's it's multiple three-dimensional challenges there to, to get everything happen. So I guess it's not a foregone conclusion, is it? No, not at all. Put simply, it is not just a case of picking another date that's free in the F1 calendar and then being able to say, right, Australia, you go there, and then everything falls into place. Uh, it, it looks very, very simple. It looks like a case of adding two and two together to get four, uh, but it's the process of actually doing that is, uh, is, is, is much more complicated, and I imagine that is something that's going to keep the um the calendar makers very very busy especially over the coming weeks exactly and there could be evolution of the way that the covid restrictions work because as you said there was the biosphere in abu dhabi which was different to the other races because before the races i went to you had to test regularly certainly but you were relatively free should we say you could do your own thing stay in whatever hotel you wanted go about your business there were certain advisories about how you should behave restricting how much contact you had with people not mixing with people in other bubbles within F1 even away from the track but the the Abu Dhabi one was a much more secured biosphere which obviously Melbourne wanted so it'd be interesting to see if more circuits more events want to go down that line which is going to be a challenge to do and inevitably there's going to be still quite a lot of things to come in this because we're very much in a in a second wave of COVID aren't we and I don't think anybody can be can be confident how many races that there will be. There could be 23 races this year still. We could end up in a situation where actually 17-18 is, is the reality for it. Would you like to have a punt on how many races you think there's going to be? No, I absolutely wouldn't. Um, I'm not going to fall for that. Uh, what, what I will say is, unsurprisingly, I, I've seen a few messages on, on Twitter this morning since we um, since we ran our story on, on this. And there's a few people sort of a bit incredulous that um, Formula One tried to put together 23 races and thought that a race in Australia in March was going to be possible. But I, I, I think this was absolutely the right thing for Formula One to do because they'd proven last year that they could put together a mainly European calendar, but that still involved going to different places with different re- uh, requirements and restrictions. As you said, Ed, that they, they did also show the ability to adapt their COVID protocols and they implemented this biosphere in, in Abu Dhabi. The biosphere was something that seemed to be realistic for for australia um and the bottom line is that even though there was obviously always talk of a second wave or or a third wave or or, or whatever and just this the pandemic rising again the 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 idea that with more time more information uh and sort of better understanding of what works and what doesn't the the hope and sort of the expectation, it wasn't just sort of crossing your fingers and hoping, was that the world as a whole would get better at understanding and controlling this this outbreak and sort of the consequences of it. Plus, there was also the hope that in the shortish term, rather than years away, there would be a vaccine as well. And that might throw something else into the mix that suddenly makes these sort of things, especially things with fans, much more viable. So... Given your planning, this, these conversations about the calendar would have been taking place last September, last October for 2021. At that point, the season's five or six months away. There's no way 
absolutely no way F1 at that point should have been going, right, well, let's just be conservative. We'll just aim for 15 or 20, 15 to 20 races, mainly in Europe, maybe with a couple of uh, Middle Eastern races in again as well. And that's going to be our calendar for 2021 because we know we can pull that off. You've got to... you If you think there is a possibility that the races in North America and South America and Asia and Australia and everywhere that you want to go can happen. You've got to plan on the basis they're going to happen. You can't get to mid-February and the world be in a better place and Australia being in a better place and suddenly go, okay, cool, well, we're going to have the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne next month. That doesn't happen. That's not how it works. So it's easier and more practical and better for everybody to make those plans to begin with work with that as your sort of primary goal and then adapt from there if you need to. It's not good for anybody to spend money preparing for these events and then abandon. But it's better because it's better than the alternative because otherwise all these people might as well give up and go out of business. And there's a lot of jobs connected to Formula One being a world championship, not just a place that happens a few races that can afford to to hold two Grand Prix. Yeah, well, it's it's the same argument that said last season they should have just abandoned F1 for the year and not not even tried to do it. You've got to try and do these things and be adaptable and flexible to to the circumstances because stuff's changing so rapidly. You know, we we've seen many governments, some not too far away from where I'm sitting right now, who have kind of been made, making very bold proclamations about what the situation will be at certain points. But you you cannot be that certain about things. There's a lot of variables going on it's it's a very complicated situation so yeah i've got no problem with them planning an australian grand prix it would have been stupid if we'd got there and the same thing happened again and it was cancelled early hours of friday morning that that would be a ridiculous situation to get into but and we criticized them for the way that happened because you could see it coming at that point but to the credit it's been learned from and clearly it's being tackled now so that's a a positive thing and we can now all work towards the bahrain grand prix as the season starter on march 28th well, it's not just calendar news going on in the world of Formula One. Some positive news for Alex Albon Scott, the Red Bull F1 refugee, as it were, albeit he will be their test and reserve driver, will be racing this year in the DTM in a move that's just been announced. So what exactly is going on there? Yeah, um, at the moment it's uh, pretty thin on details, but basically um, Red Bull's committed to running Albon and uh, another Red Bull driver, Liam Lawson, who has been in uh, Formula 3 up to now. Uh, in the DTM for their their that championship shift to GT3 cars in in 2021. Um, I, I said thin on the I said thin on details because uh, the team and the car haven't been announced yet. But this so so this just sounds like Red Bull firming up a commitment. Uh, obviously, Dr. Helmut Marco, Red Bull's motorsport consultant, um, and uh, the DTM uh, the DTM boss uh, Gerhard Berger. Uh, they they go back a bit, don't they? Um, so I wonder if this is. Uh, uh, Marco and, and and Red Bull, which obviously has been a, a long-standing supporter of the DTM, with um, we, we Red Bull backed cars in that championship for a very long time. Um, sort of finding something mutually beneficial here. Um, racing in the DTM will be good for for, for Albon, um, so he'll be alternating his car with with an uh, an unnamed driver. His F1 reserve driver role will take priority. So the races that clash, uh, and there, there there are a few, but for example, the season, uh, the DTM season opener, Albon should be clear to drive in. But those clashes, Albon will have to miss the DTM to be on reserve driver duty um, for Red Bull. But just as an example, the DTM season is currently scheduled to begin on the final weekend in May, 
uh, and does that doesn't clash with um, with, with a Grand Prix, so so Albon should be free to to do that. There's an unconfirmed date for for Monza at DTM, so we obviously don't know about that. Norris Ring uh, Albon can't do, uh, but Lausitz Ring at the end of uh, July, for example, should be clear to do, and then uh, Zolder as well, which falls in the first week of the F1 summer break. So so this was um, this should be a pretty proper program for for, for Albon in a, in a in a top championship obviously gt3 cars aren't really the same as uh, a season or part season in the dtm would have represented in recent years but it's something it keeps him behind the wheel in what should be a competitive series so it's pretty it's pretty decent in the in the circumstances i'd imagine yeah well it keeps him active a chance to rebuild some confidence shall we say and actually get out there and do a bit of wheel-to-wheel racing which is never a bad thing so all credit to red bull for doing that and also good to see Liam Lawson getting uh, getting a run out there. Obviously, he's shown well in in Formula Three this year. I think he won the feature race at Silverstone, if memory serves. So, yeah, good to see Red Bull being committed to their uh, to their young drivers. Still, I guess for Albon, it's just a chance to to keep his hand in and be ready if uh, if Red Bull needs him in Formula One. I guess he's got double the chance of being called up for a stand-in role of anyone because they've got two teams on the F1 grid. So that that's something for him and. For all the criticism Red Bull have had for dropping Albon and the treatment of drivers, they're still using him as a test and reserve driver and presumably paying him and giving him a racing program. So that, that's pretty good, isn't it? Well, I know that I know it's important that they take him, they do take him seriously in his career seriously because obviously they 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 cost him a Formula E career or a potential Formula E career as he had to get out of his Nissan Formula E deal to go and drive for Toro Rosso in Formula One in in 2019. So they 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 took one professional path away from him uh, and it would have been pretty un- pretty unfortunate for Albon to then lose all his options after two years in, in Formula 1. I'm not really sure that that chance of racing in Formula 1 is necessarily worth that but I, I think Red Bull have handled this really well. I mean Albon was fortunate to get that chance with Red Bull in Formula 1 first with Toro Rosso and then obviously with the with the senior team he wasn't quite up to it but instead of just tossing him to the curb and just saying no you're on your own now pal um, Rebel are being really good to him. They're, they're keeping him around. They've they've, they've talked openly about uh, giving him an opportunity to get back into Formula One in 2022. If, if that's with um, Rebel or Alpha Tauri, it's Alpha Tauri seems a lot more likely than Rebel Racing. But if it's with another team, Rebel's open to to loaning Albon out to another team. And in the meantime, they're finding him some driving to do. So yeah, I think um, I think all things considered, as much as he'd rather be in in the team alongside Max Verstappen in 2021, Albon's um, Albon's in a relatively good position. Yeah, good for him, and hopefully he can do some work to to help rebuild his career, both with his Red Bull role and his DTM outing. Thanks very much, Scott Mitchell. Do head to therace.com, and don't forget the hyphen to read about these news stories and more. Loads of features to delve into there. The Race F1 podcast, of course, will be hitting your downloadable airwaves, for want of a better phrase, regularly over the course of the season. Our last episode, we talked about the big stories of F1 2021, and we're also taking questions for a follow-up to that, where we delve into some of the other details about the new season to come. So drop us a line on that. We are the race on Twitter or to me at F one and we'll consider them for that podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with more from the Race F1 podcast.